So good evening, everybody. Welcome to Emmaus Way. My name is Ben. We're glad you're here. I was driving over just around. I had to, I had to go back and get something, and Durham seemed kind of sleepy today. I don't know. Something about downtown seemed a little bit sleepy. A little bit more southern. A little bit more red clay. I don't know. By the way, we're talking about dirt tonight, so we're glad you're here for that. And yeah, continuing a summer series where we have been delving into the physical world through the lens of many different elements. And yeah, our chosen one for tonight is dirt, mud, earth, the stuff we walk on, the stuff we grow things in. To call us to gather tonight, I have, or Molly has more accurately, um, this blessing of mud from Jan Richardson, whose uh, liturgical poetry we turn to quite often. Lest we think the blessing is not in the dirt, lest we think the blessing is not in the earth beneath our feet, lest we think the blessing is not in the dust, like the dust that God scooped up at the beginning and formed with God's two hands and breathed into with God's own breath, lest we think the blessing is not in the spit lest we think the blessing is not in the mud, lest we think the blessing is not in the mire, the grime, the muck, lest we think God cannot reach deep into the things of earth, cannot bring forth the blessing that shimmers within the sludge, cannot anoint us with a tender and grimy grace. Amen. So, in line with our summer series talking about physical things, we've been trying, in fits and starts, some of us, to introduce our community to this little community song. We like to have a song or some sort of participatory element for us to do together before the kids go off to their pursuits. But fortunately, Rhody is here this week, and I can pass this to her to lead. All right, I'm just going to sing loud. We're going to sing it twice through. Pass the music at the banquet. So much better than last week. <laughs> Personnel matters, y'all. And kids, we are you still talking about Exodus this week, Joel? We, well, we're all, but all this week, we are, okay. We are still enumerating what the techniques are and mm-hmm. talking about that. And then the younger folks are still going to be revisiting Pentecost. Pentecost. Excellent. Well, good luck. Off, off to it, kids. Thank you for being here. To help kick it off. So, uh, yeah, things happening in our community. Does anybody have any... Sp- I don't I have a ton of announcements. I will always say, as we like to, on the table out there where you got your bulletin on the way in, there's always yellow cards out there as well as green cards. The yellow ones are for you to give some information about yourself 
If you'd like to get connected um, to Emmaus Way a little bit more, get on some of our listservs that go out week to week or more intermittently to tell you what's going on in the community. Green cards just have a lot of contact information and sort of brief primers on different ways that you could connect with us during the week. Um, yeah, and also there's always a metallic bowl out there where we accept financial investments in this community you see here. And yeah, but more specific amounts, since Gail has one. Um, there's more homegrown tomatoes and cucumbers for people to help themselves to with plastic bags. Wow. Thank you. So that is another thing. Yeah, since Gail's pointed it out, we have sort of like scaled back our church. Provi- well, actually, no, we, we did a different thing a while back where the church provides a few snacks but anybody is welcome to bring other snacks, as Gail has done tonight. So, yeah, always remember, if you have something left over, or you bake a batch of cookies, or you just feel like doing that, we're always excited about that. Uh, anything else? Yeah. Uh, so not next week, but the week after, uh, my band, Infielder, is playing 7 o'clock at 106 East Main. Just throw that out. Where's, where's 106? What is 106? It's uh, that dive bar on Main Street. Oh, right. Which is, uh, they don't normally, not normally open on Sundays, but we're doing a special, special music thing. So. Thanks for letting us know, Neil. There's some other hand. Yeah, Tim. So, just, um, we have a, you guys both get stuff. So, we have a pub group that meets on Thursday nights, uh, 8.15 at the Federal. Uh, that's a 12-year standing group. Uh, this summer, we're doing something a little bit different, and that's why we're announcing it, is we've been doing life stories of anybody that wants to share them in the community. And it can be whole life or a portion of your life or something that's important to you. They have been absolutely fantastic. Brian led us last week and was just we loved it. Uh, we've had Brandon Bain. Um, there's three or four people that have already uh, shared. This week is Joel McLean. And so uh, he's got a great story. What we found is being a community of storytelling people and doing a dialogue, we hear each other's stories in you know two-minute segments and five-minute things. So what's been really fun is to have somebody talk for 30, 35 minutes about some aspect of their life and be able to kind of question about that. So Pub's group is great. If you've never been, but you want to hear somebody's story, it's a, it's a kind of group that you can come in and come out of. Uh, we usually don't start. We gather on 815. We usually start the story part at 830 or 835. And, and of course, that food is great. So that's uh, Joel McLean's story. Yeah, thanks for that reminder. I got a chance to hear Brian's this week, and it really it really was great. Having Even having known Brian pretty well, I just, yeah, heard his story in a very different way and some of the questions and conversation that come out of a thick personal narrative are just really beautiful and sticking with me. So, yeah, that would be a great thing to do Thursday nights this summer. Uh, anything else? This is going really well. People are just popping up with announcements. It's, it's really... But as I said that, you know, sort of ruined it. All right. So, um, so to sort of drive us forward to the night a little bit, usually, often, we are building our... Um, our evenings around music in Emmaus Way, and actually we have our own summer intern, Rody Mastin, to lead us in some songs to close out the night. But in this sort of preparatory space tonight, we're doing some different things. Molly will introduce you to her practice of preparation, which I have stopped calling a craft at her. Yeah. And, but yeah, but before that, a few texts that just, you know, came out of our conversation this week and are really forming this idea of dealing with dirt or earth as a thing that informs our faith or how we understand God or or our spiritual place in the world. Um, I'm going to read this Wendell Berry one, but if you want to look ahead, there's two more that we'd love to have some other people read. Again, the inimitable Wendell Berry. 
from the great economy, which we've talked about here before. We cannot speak of topsoil. Indeed, we cannot know what it is without acknowledging at the outset that we cannot make it. We can care for it or not. We can even, as we say, build it, but we can do so only by assenting to, preserving, and perhaps collaborating in its own processes. To those processes themselves, we have nothing to contribute. We cannot make topsoil, and we cannot make any substitute for it. We cannot do what it does. It is apparently impossible to make an adequate description of topsoil in the sort of language that we've come to call scientific. For although any soil sample can be reduced to its inert qualities, a handful of the real thing has life in it. It is full of living creatures, and if we try to describe the behavior of that life, we will see that it is doing something that, if we are not careful, we will call unearthly. It is making life out of death. Not so very long ago, had we known about it what we know now, we would probably have called it miraculous. In a time when death is looked upon with almost universal enmity, it is hard to believe that the land we live on and the lives we live are the gifts of death. Yet that is so, and it is the topsoil that makes it so. The topsoil exists as such because it is ceaselessly transforming death into life, ceaselessly supplying food and water to all that lives in it and from it. Otherwise, all flesh shall perish together and the man shall turn again unto dust. Somebody else for these next two. You can do it from where you are. It turns harmless and stainless on its axis, with such endless successions of diseased corpses. It distills such exquisite winds out of such infused fetor. It renews with such unwitting looks its prodigal, annual, sumptuous crops. It gives such divine materials to men and accepts such leavings from them at last. Thoughts on a landscape architect, a landscape Planting things is the best way to heal and rebuild soil. Plants are critical part of the soil ecosystem, stabilizing the soil, exchanging nutrients with it, and building healthy food systems that facilitate the movement of air and water. A large percentage of perennial food system dies off every fall and winter, leaving behind empty channels and organic matter and stable form called honey, which stores carbon and nutrients. Hundreds of thousands of root channels will heal and rebuild. Even highly distributed and compact soils over time and will enrich low lying soil horizons with organic matter. The more roots, the more quickly soil is restored. Often humans play a critical role in setting off that chain reaction. It is not enough to leave a site alone and hope that pre development healthy processes take hold because we've not put healthy processes and ecosystems off balance. so much um, for reading different voices that I was in conversation with um, as I was preparing a dialogue and really more of a night um, around dirt because um, less music Sundays, sometimes as we call them, 
are wonderful things, but it's also, it's like, oh gosh, how do we talk about dirt without beautiful songs? And luckily we get two things to ready. But as I was thinking and pre preparing, and as I was thinking about this dialogue and what I wanted us to do, I wanted us to play in dirt. And so that's what we're going to do. Um, lucky for you, it went from, we were going to like maybe create art, like this artist, I was talking to my artist friend, who's getting his PhD in art history, and he's artist and there's some artist in England who uses dirt to like paint and make pictures thought about doing that we aren't doing that um, also thought about going and weeding reality's garden but it's like a hundred and plus feels so hot outside so we aren't doing that and so I settled on this craft or what I like to call a practice of preparation known as making seed bombs um, so that's what we're going to do now. Don't be intimidated. Um, on every plate, there is some dirt, air clay, and seeds. And there are bowls of water. And what you're going to do for the next little bit, everybody at least make one. I'm not going to make you make tons, but let's like try to make one. All right? Like, in my deepest, like, I hope that you just want to make, like, ten or something, but just try to make one. So what you're going to do is you'll take clay, dirt, and seeds, and it's, like, five parts clay, three parts dirt, one part seed, roughly, but just eye it. Um, and then you put it in water. I often will put, get the clay and put that in water first, and then that helps the dirt stick onto the clay. You can get as much dirt on there as you want. I have more in the back if you run out. And then you wrap it, kind of roll it around in the seeds. And then you'll see that there are baggies. And you will put your seed bombs in your bags and take them to your house and set them on a window seal or somewhere where they can dry. And then you have seed bombs to throw in your yard in an abandoned parking lot where there's a crack. Sometimes these wildflowers will grow there wherever your heart desires. But as you're making these seed bombs, I'm really wanting you to play in the dirt. So just have fun. Think, be thinking about, yeah, what it's like to play in the dirt. What does it make you think of? What do you think about dirt in general? There are also paper towels that you can dip in the water too. If you don't like to get dirty, you can easily wipe your hands. But yeah, for the next little bit, we're gonna make seed bombs. So make them until you run out of supplies, all right? Um, you all feel free to continue making seed bombs and playing in the dirt. Um, we're about to pass the piece before we start um, talking, dialoguing around dirt, but I hope that that was fun for you. Um, but a bit before we pass the piece, um, so as everybody knows, or most people probably know, um, on August 19th, um, we will be moving from reality um, and moving into a new space at Calvary United Methodist Church, um, which is over on Trinity Avenue, on the corner of Trinity and Elizabeth. And I just wanted to let you all know that I met with Calvary's new pastor um, this past week and am so, so excited, not only for the space and the fact that on warm nights like tonight or even cooler nights when the sun is out, the kids have a playground to play on, um, and that we have 
actual, like, they have a bathroom that has child-appropriate, like, toilets. You know those cute, like, tiny toddler toilets? Um, Not only things like that in the space, and then not only that we are still able to be located within downtown Durham, which was exciting and wanted by our community, um, but that we're able to partner with a church that intentionally rents space to groups like Inside Out, which is um, an LGBTQ, kind of like a youth group for LGBTQ teens doing remarkable work. Um, But Chris, I met Chris, the pastor, and he's ecstatic that Emmaus Way is moving in because Chris actually came to Emmaus Way um, part of his first year. And Zach and Janelle, they go back all the way to college and they're dear friends with Zach and Janelle. And Chris, we just spent an hour and a half brainstorming possibilities in ways that Emmaus Way and Calvary um, could just be in relationship with one another. And as we think about what does it mean to be predominantly white churches too um, in spaces in Durham that are gentrifying, right? And what does it mean for Calvary to be located where it is? And what does it mean for Emmaus Way to do church the Emmaus Way does and Calvary to do church the way Calvary does? Um, and how might we collaborate and partner um, one such thing is he's really hoping that Calvary will get engaged with Religious Coalition for Nonviolent Durham. And so we talked about even having a faith team made up with members of Calvary and perhaps Emmaus Way. Um, but I just want to let you all know that change is hard, and I've had, I've had a lot of sleepless nights, even though Calvary and this move is a really good thing, um, around this change. And after meeting with Chris, I am nothing but ecstatic at what... Um, might come. So it's great. If you haven't seen pictures of Calvary, Laura Wooten has those. Our lay leaders do. We're happy to send those to you. Um, Emily McLean on our weekly sent out. There was a blurb for folks to sign up about how they might be able to help with the move. Um, Please fill out that Google form. We need all hands on deck to make it happen. Um, But yeah, it's going to be really great. And they also have a labyrinth on the floor in their fellowship hall, like where we will be meeting, which I think is pretty beautiful and exciting, um, given how we often will engage in different contemplative practice and how that might be easier. And there's a kitchen. I'm trying to maybe, Luke Fishback might like sometimes bake bread in that kitchen, and then we would smell bread, right, as we are having church or thinking through how, with a kitchen being right, connected to our worship gathering space, how might we incorporate food and this, the reality of abundance um, through food and hospitality in more vibrant ways in this space? But it's going to be great. Um, you'll be hearing us talk more about it in the coming weeks um, as we also want to leave reality well um, and mark reality for what it was and what it means and will continue to mean to us um, as we move into this new space. But yeah, that was my little bit of after meeting Chris. Like, I was just stoked. Like, I was on a big high for a few days about Calvary. Mm-hmm. But yeah, pass the peace at Emmaus Way. We greet one another. Um, talk to people maybe you haven't seen in a while. Grab some snacks. And we'll come back in just a few minutes to talk about dirt. All right. If folks would gather back toward the middle all right so I'm curious how how is playing in 
the dirt. It rocked. Why did it rock, Ellen? I just—it's sensual. It's—it's alive. It's uh, and we get to start something. Yeah. It's sensual. It's alive. We get to start something. Awesome. Others. I feel like when you start off, it sucks, but then after you, um, like go for it. Things are really good. Yeah. So maybe kind of initially you're like, oh, dirt. You know, it's like gross, and but then once you go for it, it's much better. Others. How was playing in the dirt? Did you discover something new as you were playing in the dirt? It was not crushed Oreos. It was not crushed Oreos. No, it was not. You probably don't want to eat uh, these seed bombs. No, not quite. And they're wildflower seeds in case that was the seed. Others. Other thoughts on dirt? What was it like? What did it make you think of with dirt, if anything? Made you think of chocolate? Okay. Had anybody ever made seed bombs before? Maybe. Had any does anybody just like go outside to play in the dirt when you're wanting to feel more rooted or grounded? You pull weeds? Yeah. Like I find that there's something therapeutic, even kinda of Ellen got back to this about like being in the dirt. I really like, um, I like searching for things in the dirt. Like, especially with my kids. Like rocks, if you're at the river, trying to find the best rock or the smoothest rock or the most round rock or whatever. Yeah. What might be in the dirt? Cool. Any other initial thoughts on dirt or what this activity season? When I am all pulled up mentally, I have to walk through dirt and grass. (laughs) And walk off the Walking on pavement doesn't help, but there's something about walking in dirt and then grass that helps. I like that. There's really this artist kind of connected to you, um, this English artist. In 1969, he first got on the map because he walked this one path back and forth to think and saw it as a practice and walked it so many times that the dirt then all you could see was just this dirt line and he talks about how art for him too often art is disassociated and not connected to the earth and to the ground but there's something really profound about walking away and trying to figure out life and recognizing that in that walking you're creating art anyway, I kind of, that's what it made me think of but dirt, right? it's dirty, it's gross I, you know, like, I've never, I like dirt, but I've never really thought a lot about it. I notice dirt more whenever I'm a horrible nail biter. Um, and whenever I was little, I told my mom once, she asked, why don't you grow your nails? I said, because if you grow your nails and the dirt gets under them, I don't like that. So I was saying that I bit my nails so as not to have dirt under them. That didn't really hold. She didn't really like that answer. But it's dirty, right? It gets under our skin, under our fingernails. In the old English, dirt literally translates as, anybody have any idea? Curse word. Yeah, yeah. Literally translates as that curse word. Just think dark, dirt. And yet, dirt is essential to our world. To life itself. But what do we do with it? How are we to connect with dirt? This essential thing that we really cannot be without 
yet perhaps too often we ignore. Arborist and author of a book entitled Dirt, The Ecstatic Skin of the Earth. Yes, I did order a book about dirt to prepare for this week because I was pretty ignorant. Um, William Bryant Logan says this of this stuff. Many people would rather use the word soil. I met an ecologist in a parking lot one day getting out of his car. He asked me what my book was about. Dirt, I said. The man scowled. Soil, you mean, he corrected. No, no, I mean dirt. The stuff kids play in, the kind of road that begins where the pavement ends. Dirt. Logan goes on to say, Earth can be confusing because to me it means the whole ball of wax. Soil sometimes strikes me as sexless and ugly, but it takes dirt to grow an oak from an acorn. It takes dirt to transform the surface of the world. Healthy dirt is dynamic. It's filled with complex networks of living organisms, weathered rocks and minerals, and the decaying remains of plants and animals. It can act as a natural filter and remove pollutants from water, store water from plants and for people, capture, store, and recycle carbon and other other nutrients, and provides habitat for bacteria, fungi, earthworms, and insects, just to name a few things. And from scripture, we come to know that dirt is what we, humanity, came from. Did someone read our Genesis text for us? Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Thanks, Sarah. We all come from dirt. Yes, all of us. I'm sorry, men, you no longer get to like hold that, um, hold that box. But because Phyllis Bird, scholar, she says this: the starting point for the Yahwist creation account is an ideological tale of Earthling, which requires personification of the collective Hebrew Adam, translated man. But Adam is not only as an individual. For Adam's work, as well as Adam's destiny, is determined by relationship to the earth. That is, Adama, translated as the dust of the ground, refers to what we today might call earth, or soil, or dirt. For the word play to work well in English, Adama, dirt, and earth. And so therefore, Adam literally means earthling. The word earthling is not inherently gendered. As Phyllis Triple states, ambiguity characterizes the meaning of Adam. On the one hand, man is the first creature formed. On the other hand, Adam is a generic term for all of humankind coming from the earth. It is the ancient Hebrew equivalent of person. So Adam, human, and Adama, earth, are intricately linked. 
And so what do you think it means or says about God that dirt is used as a medium for humanity in the beginning to come into existence in this creation account? Why dirt? This is really symbolic of the fact that we have got a relationship that is unbreakable because it is from which we are made. It's more than mother. It's more than it's just God and and the elements of the earth. And it's a, more than symbolic. It's because it's like there's something we have. We have an affinity for this, and we have a revulsion same time and mm-hmm. it's kind of like don't we don't want to be dirty mm-hmm. but we want to be in the dirt yeah okay. we're connected in a really in, intimate intricate mm-hmm. way in like physical not just symbolic ways yeah very much so others what do you think it means or says about God that in this creation account humanity is coming from dirt Think about the alternatives. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, in some creation accounts, the alternative is the gods just mm-hmm. kind of you know, throwing a thunderbolt or something, and mm-hmm. and then a human appears, mm-hmm. or humans are born of well, having just watched Wonder Woman. I'm not quite sure of the genealogy of how that works, <laughs> yeah. but um, but the the, the Hebrew notion of coming from the soil is quite different from that. It's, I think, maybe equally um, miraculous, mm-hmm. but very plainly miraculous. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, um, and, and to me, it speaks of you know the earth is where all life comes from, mm-hmm. and so it and and sustains all life, and it just speaks to me of this um, of, um, possibilities. The possibilities. The possibilities that, that continually come from the earth and, and the possibilities for this creation that, that God has given birth to. So perhaps we come from dirt for the possibilities that are ever forthcoming, yeah. right? Because dirt is a living organism that's always taking things in, releasing things. Yeah. Others. Any other thoughts on dirt and why, in this creation account, humanity is created from dirt? Yeah, SK. Um, it makes me think of God's affinity in Jesus, um, or through Jesus, for the lowly, the things that are considered lowly. And um, to your point, Jim, like I guess we could have been made from the stars or something that cosmically we think is really dazzling. But... Um, this is kind of connecting us from our roots with the lowly. Um, that is what we come from. Um, and then God continues to kind of point to and honor whatever is considered lowly. It's beautiful. So perhaps coming from dirt, um, because God, and as we see through Jesus, recognizing the lowly and not forgetting the lowly. 
it's even perhaps for us, right, to recognize and remember where we come from and that we aren't all Wonder Woman, right? <laughs> like, kind of <laughs> things like that. Yeah, very, very true. Perhaps I'm cur- kind of, I was thinking, like, maybe dirt is the medium for humanity um, because dirt is really com- complex and it functions in a myriad of ways, even though we probably wouldn't think it initially. And I think that we (laughs) are pretty complex creatures. So throughout Logan's work, Dirt, he says, dirt allows for a living connection between heaven and earth. It reminds us that life stretches out like taffy between father the sun and mother the earth, and we are forever connected. Dirt at its finest reminds us where we come from and where we're going. Dirt is a transformer, a body that organizes raw materials into tissues, tissues that become, became and ever become the mother of all life. Dirt is hospitable. Dirt makes room, according to Logan. Dirt shares. Dirt neutralizes poison, and so it heals. And I think at our finest, to humanity, right? We are ever transforming, ever becoming. And through transformation or ever becoming people of more hospitality, more room, more sharing, more healing, maybe part of why we come from dirt is to remind us of how complex we are, but that we don't like we're ever becoming and are not staying in one static place. I don't know. Would someone read John 9 for us? As long as I'm in the world, I'm in the light of the world. When he had said this, spat on the ground and made mud in the Samara, and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Salome. So what sticks out to you specifically about dirt and this healing story? It's interesting that he didn't just send him to wash, mm-hmm. like, without that act of putting dirt. And dirt. Because in Mark, this this account in Mark, it's just spittle, right? There's no dirt. In Mark 8, but in John 9, there's dirt. What else? What sticks out? I'm curious about um, how mud was used by mm-hmm. that culture and your Bible. Like, I'm wondering what how clear in mind the significance of this month's life might be without knowing if that was, like, a horrifying idea, or... So it was not. Okay. So in, like, the Greco-Roman, kind of in this world, the Greco-Roman world, dirt and mud, this was a very common occurrence to use dirt, to use the earth to heal. Well, so Greco, like some people, it was like miraculous, right? Sort of this sign of the miraculous. Um, 
But I don't. But parts of me when I was doing my reading was wondering too if they were more connected to the earth and like recognized or were able to notice and see. Yeah, like in some ways the everydayness of dirt, and yet how that everydayness and ordinariness of dirt was healing, right? Because it can neutralize. Right? It can it like neutralizes and heals things in the soil. I'm looking at my biologist because I am not a biologist. Well, I'll tell you a little story. Um, I was a, a greenhouse manager, and I actually used some of the organisms that live in dirt um, as a as a way of controlling pests. And what this first makes me think of is that there's an inoculum in this soil. There's something that is truly healing. That, that's in, a mystery and a miracle to, to them. And should be a mystery and miracle to us now as well. Um, it's sort of a sign that, you know, it's not all about humans' bed. It's not all about yeah. us exchanging things. It's about the relationship that we have with the earth. And, and even, and in a more medical sense, it may just be that there were organisms in that soil that helped to heal the blind man or to change him in some way. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily blind, but whatever. Yeah, but it took the dirt even as medium, right, for those organisms to be able to live and mm-hmm. very true. Others, yeah, Brett. I, just, I find it interesting that he used, that he used spit rather than like water, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know that it speaks to the un- more uncommonness of clean water because mm-hmm. we think of water as like cleansing. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're going to heal something, we're going to we're going to wash it out. Mm-hmm. We're going to pour water on it. Um, um, but rather than they, they used dirt, mm-hmm. um, which is a much more common element. Yeah, it uses like dirty things to heal. Yeah. And yet we, right, like Tim was talking about earlier how, um, something about dog, people who own dogs, correct me if I'm wrong, but people who own dogs now apparently live longer, but part of it is because, I know, right, I was like, woohoo, yay Greta. Um, but part of that is because they expose us to dirt, right? They kind of like, we live such sterile lives now. We are not around spit or dirt or the nitty gritty that there's something to, I mean, sure, right? Companionship and like love and like all those things that also go in with the dog. But, right? I mean, there's kind of something to that of what happens when we become over sterile, right? Like we're only clean water. We would think to only use clean drinking water to heal someone, perhaps, in this story. We wouldn't think about the dirt or about this bit. And how how does that then have adverse effects on us when we aren't recognizing where we come from and the miraculous wonders that is just picking up a pile of dirt? Well, and they, and they also, I mean, they would have used, like, spit or water and dirt, like, for everything. Like, they made, like, their houses, you know, stuff they ate out of. You know, like pottery was made from mm-hmm. some kind of water and dirt. It's very it's ordinary. Like, it's just very ordinary, very common. Jim, did you know? Well, yeah, I'm having this, this sort of loose um, connection with communion. Uh-huh. Um, because, you know, we say this is the blood of Jesus poured out for you, this is the body of Jesus broken mm-hmm. for you. Well, um, in that mix, this was the spit of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> That was mixed with this dirt, and you know, I don't know, I, I don't know how far to carry that metaphor. <laughs> Probably it's gone as far as it can, but um, but my mind goes there to think of that. You've got this this bit of Jesus, and you've got this bit of the earth that are mixed together. And it's really too remarkable, right? Like even in Genesis two, of how um, 
God formed man from the dust, right? But it was God, like, breathing yeah. into Adam's nostrils. I mean, so sort of that, like, for both, both coming from the earth, but also recognizing God at work, right? In very physical, like, physical ways. Other thoughts on dirt? So, what does it mean that the very thing we come from is, in fact, miraculous? Or what does it say about us, I'd say? That the very thing we come from is, in fact, miraculous. But this miraculous healing force, this thing teeming with creating and sustaining life, is something that we too often have chosen not to appreciate, not to learn from, but rather we've altered and have usually degraded it. If I'm being quite honest, like I've said before this week's dialogue, I hadn't thought that much about dirt. If I was not doing this dialogue, I probably wouldn't have bought that book about dirt. But it's something that exists in our world and in our everyday that I walk on, that I see, and yet I take it for granted. And rarely, I don't know about you, but have I thought long and hard about how buildings and roads and sidewalks compact dirt and destroy the channels that transport vital water and nutrients to the dirt. Nor have I been deeply disturbed by poor farming practices depleting within a few years what took centuries to make really, really rich human, you know, like the dark, dark parts of the earth. And I didn't stop to think how my poor gardening practices in Winston-Salem probably disturbed soil's microbes, leaving soils exposed in ways that I didn't intend. Dirt is on the long list of these earthly, physical elements of our world that is so key to our being, and yet something we have so seriously harmed. For when we ignore the soil's work, I'm beginning to see that we not only harming the soil, but are harming ourselves. And yet dirt, too, I think, is one thing that we can touch, can be a part of, that we are connected to, that we have the potential to thoughtfully and meaningfully restore. My dear friend Lindsay, who was quoted, um, was one of the readings. She's almost a landscape architect, really, really close. She's finishing up her degree. And we were at dinner with them, and I just sort of asked her her thoughts on dirt's And she says, dirt is one of the things I love most and am most intrigued by in landscape architecture. Because we have so altered the planet and its resources and processes, especially with dirt, there is no longer a meaningful divide between what is human and natural. We have a responsibility not just to quit harming dirt, but to actively heal it. Wendell Berry says it a bit more cautiously, but says this later on in The Great Economy. We must improve the soil, which is not a mechanical device, but among other things, 
the graveyard, a place of resurrection and a community of living creatures. Devices may sometimes help, but only up to a point. For soil is improved by what humans do not do as well as by what they do. The properties of soil husbandry require acts that are much more complex than industrial acts. For these acts are conditioned by the ability not to act, by forbearance or self-restraint, sympathy or generosity. To push our work beyond that point is to become guilty of hubris, of presuming to be greater than we are. We cannot do what the topsoil does any more than we can do what God does or what a swallow does. We can fly, but only as humans, very crudely, noisily, and clumsily. We can dispose of corpses and garbage, but we cannot, by our devices, turn them into fertility and new life. The topsoil exists as such because it is ceaselessly transforming death into life, ceaselessly supplying food and water to all that lives in it and from it. Otherwise, all flesh shall perish together, and man shall turn again unto dust. If we are to live well on and from our land, we must live by faith in the ceaselessness of these processes and by faith in our own willingness and ability to collaborate with them. So what might it mean to collaborate with dirt? As people of God coming from dirt itself. I'm thinking about the uh, environmental activists, um, uh, especially some women in Latin America who've been mm-hmm. assassinated over the last few years, and the kind of spiritual fortitude that um, they must have had and still have to do that work every day. Mm-hmm. And um, like for me in my life, the direction of that work is like, I'm gonna fix my yard. I don't think it's wrong. It's, it's not wrong. It's, it's not wrong at all. Um, but what have they been uh, cultivating their entire lives, likely from childhood, to give them the courage to um, defend this land that's, un- that's under attack and will probably be destroyed? Um, anyways, um, again and again and again, they lose their lives over it and raise daughters who are doing the same thing. And I don't know, because I don't have that. <laughs> um, but I think it's generations of practices that have given people courage. And also, like, having such a stake in them. Like, people who are giving their lives for this, like, their, their, their well-being is wrapped up in it. And I know what I'm thinking of mine is, but not day-to-day. Um, not, not day-to-day in a way that I see. You know, not, like, it doesn't get, you know what I mean? So this did, like, Dirt as starting cultivating generations of children and people that are caring about and are passionate about and are willing to put their lives on the line for something is something so essential as dirt, yet recognizing that it does take work, right, to build those generations generations and practices and to so orient your life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Others. What are we to do with dirt? How are we to collaborate? Are we to be changed by dirt? Are we just to go on our way? Yeah, Brian. So I'm reminded of 
sort of our, I don't know if it's our, our vision or whatever, if we have one, but where we're trying to look for what God is doing in the earth and be a part of it. Um, and I think that that dirt and soil and its ability to transform dead things into living things um, speaks to a process and a and really uh, a kingdom that's always at work. It's always transforming dead things into, into life, into new life. And if we have our eyes open, we can participate in our own spiritual way, our own spiritual practice of transforming death into life. So dirt learning from and recognizing how dirt, yeah, is constantly turning death into life. And it's really the kingdom of God at work insole it right beneath us and what might how might we learn from that learn from dirt and learn about what does it look like in our own world in our own lives mm-hmm. to turn death into life while also recognizing right like I think it's really it's just beautifully profound to me right that like the very thing that we came from in this Genesis 2 account is also the very thing we will go back into, right? And that the earth, in the same way that dirt, right, that we were created, we will also be received back, no matter how we treated it while we were on earth. And that just seems really grace-filled to me. Others? Yeah. Shall I? Just anecdotally along those lines, um, in Israel, every funeral, uh, first of all, you're not allowed to have a casket, so the shape of the person being buried has to be um, very visible, just mm-hmm. to remember that you return to dirt. Um, but also, everyone present at the funeral, particularly the men, um, once once the, the body's been put into the ground, everyone will pick up some dirt and throw their own piece um, into into the grave just as a way of I don't really know exactly what it symbolizes but but as a way of getting dirty yeah. <laughs> with the family with the mourners and so I think there's something special about getting dirty with those who, who are loved yeah. getting dirty with those who mourn and recognizing the dirt and the pain right? the rawness of that so my mom loves English gardens, which are beautiful and also like very controlled. And um, at some point I was introduced to permaculture, which is a radically different way of thinking about land, where you're actually studying you know, how much sunlight a place gets. You're looking at the, the zone and the native plants and the insects and you're working with the land. So you build swales that naturally gather rainwater to make the fertile areas that you want. Um, but I think those two models provide a real like, space of imagination for us, just to notice what works well, where there is already beauty, kind of like the examine practice yeah. of where do I see life, and just building there. So paying attention to learning from yeah, and like, not only what, yeah, what builds life, what are we doing to just, because in some ways, right, building, you have to also be able to recognize what's destroying it too, right, or why maybe something isn't, and so, yeah, thinking about both ends. Thanks. Jen? 
I'm thinking about some words that changed my thinking about dirt. And your question about how we work in concert with um, dirt makes me think of the word stewardship. And when in those places where we often consider ourselves to be stewards of dirt, it's usually, we usually think of it as property. And I'm, I'm just wondering about how these words change my thinking about what I'm interacting with. If I'm interacting with my property, well, you know, all of a sudden it's mine. And, and I, I have freedom to do with it as I will. And I'm just not sure that's good. Yeah, for sure. There is something interesting since I've been working on, kind of to get to you, on this dialogue and thinking a lot about dirt and just, yeah, like this notion, just a Genesis 2 account, right? And like, that he, it was significant enough for the writer, for, yeah, the writer of Genesis to tell this creation account, right, for us to remember. And how, as I'm going on walks and looking at living things or growing, I just feel like the higher, right, sort of how we can so become like humans at the top and everything else at the bottom, just how it flips whenever you start really, really thinking about and trying to process what it means that we, like, this is, like, this is our, right, it's our future, like, this this was here before us, this was a part of creation and, like, creating us, right, like, with God, but, like, that this stuff, in so many ways is so much greater and more intricate and powerful than I will ever be. And, um, yeah, because I think often it's a lot easier to think of dirt or land or even flower, like things growing as property. It's very easy in our society, but I've been surprised at just sort of on my walks trying to think of reorient Right, my place in the order of things. Don't know if that's helpful, but it's been rock. I had no idea dirt could rock my world this much, but it is really, really has been rocking my world. But yeah, Neil. Yeah, it's, and I think that's a, it's a good point because so I, I serve on the farmland protection board for Durham County, and one of our goals is to preserve farmland for soil to retain soil, retain soil quality. Um, water quality, etc., down the line, but um, the major threat to uh, soils being depleted and disappearing is development, and it's other people's property. So it's, you know, we can do the best that we can do on our own little plots and try to invert the structure and all that, but really it comes down to these, you know, wide swath landowners up in the north part of the county that are facing development pressure from the housing boom. Uh, and you know you can see it. You go down South uh, 55, the other side of Cornwall, and just like log this major area for housing. It's like all that dirt's just getting compacted. So I don't know. It's making it really transactional. But I think the way I interact with that is those are policies, mm-hmm. those are decisions being made at the, at the local municipal level that we can have a part participatory voice in and say. Do we want to turn that into housing, or do we want to find other ways of preserving that that land and open space and preserving the soil? For sure, because it stirs up, right? Like dirt, it stirs up all these policy issues and systems at play, Mm -hmm. 
and how we are yeah, actors and players within the system and what is going to be our response and how are we going to stand up, you know, like housing. I've been working um, on a housing equity fund sort of anyway, this project with Durham Can and so much of it, right, goes, we've been talking about through the lens of gentrification, right, because that's a reality. But another reality is I think we're forgetting the land, right? Like what is this physically doing to so that's a complication. our land? It's a housing shortage, so we do yeah. need more housing. But are yeah. we gonna, what's the good? What's the balance? Yeah. How do you work within that? Great, thanks so much. Yeah, um, I really love uh, the picture of being buried without a casket. Um, it's. It's fascinating. Yes, we've, we've talked about how we've come from dirt, but our reluctance to go back, back to dirt. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure, for sure. And so there's this, this almost um, embarrassment how we've abused and degraded the dirt, and we're put in a strange position to have to defend this thing that we came from. I love um, the duality of something formed out of dirt or, or clay and then um, something divine inhabiting that space. So there's two, there's two sides of it and it feels like um, we're both holy and dirty and that it's, it's refreshing to allow that earthy element investigate it, own it. To be a part of the narrative of who we are. Thanks, Russell. So I'm going to end. I know we began with Jan Richardson's blessing in mind, but I also know, yeah, the call to gather is always a rough, rough spot to really hear words. But with Russell's, I'm going to end with her words again. Lest we think this blessing is not in the dirt. Lest we think the blessing is not in the earth beneath our feet. Lest we think the blessing is not in the dust. Like the dust that God scooped up at the beginning and formed with God's two hands and breathed into with God's own breath. Lest we think this blessing is not in the spit. Lest we think this blessing is not in the mud. Lest we think this blessing is not in the mire, the grime, the muck. Lest we think God cannot reach deep into the things of earth. Cannot bring forth the blessing that shimmers within the sludge. Cannot anoint us with a tender and grimy grace. Thanks for talking about dirt. I highly recommend dirt. Embracing the ecstatic skin of the earth. I will loan out my copy if you would like it. But Rodi's going to lead us in some songs. Um, I think these songs are pretty repetitive, so please join in whenever you, if you know it or if, when you feel like you know it. Um, I think that both of these songs, I did not pick them. Molly and Ben picked them. Um, but I think they, they deal with uh, maybe dirt as a benediction. And so let's sing these together.
forget not where you've been Shake off your shoes Forgiven, be forgiven Take up your spade and break ground Give thanks for all that you've been given Give thanks for who you can become your spade and break ground. Take up your spade and break ground. Amen. Thanks, Rudy. Rudy is such a great singer that she and I have a contest we're going to do one day at church. Is I, I'm the worst singer on earth. It's embarrassing for me to sing, but I do sometimes. And so watch one week. We're going to sit together on the front row, and I'm going to sing with all my power and might. And Rhody's going to sing beside me with all of her power and might and see if she has the ability to envelop my <laughs> embarrassing voice. It's going to be Fox when you start doing that. To something, yeah. <laughs> I used to laugh my uh, when I was in a mega church when I first started out. I always had to do like a stand in front of the radio broadcast or radio broadcast and, he, and they would not let the congregation sing without a pastor with an open Bible but hymnal. And I thought if somebody just turns up the mic and my voice goes out over the radio, I will never make it through the end of it. So anyway, Ray, Ray, that's fantastic. I have to admit, what a great night. I mean, almost every comment that people said could have been the table invitation, not just kind of contributions to the dialogue uh, were just powerful words. Um, I am a convert and kind of a poor convert to dirt. Um, having grown up in the country and on a farm, um, dirt, and especially as a kid who, whose brain was on basketballs and soccer balls and footballs and chemistry and cheerleaders and anything else, uh, the, the farm represented work for me and dirt represented work for me. And so I, I, I didn't have a great love <laughs> for dirt. Uh, and and I, I didn't understand the privilege that I had to have like fresh vegetables and fresh everything. I mean, I didn't know things came from a can uh, until I went to college and realized, wow, they're opening up a can of grain, green beans and pouring in it. You know, it just, it was part of my upbringing. And dirt also had some marks of shame in it, right? In terms of, in my community, people who lived on dirt roads were, were usually poorer than other people. And there was this strong sense. And I think, I, especially as a family that was kind of evolving from blue collar to white collar, uh, there was always this sense that having dirt on you uh, uh, represented a social class uh, as well as uh, something else. So I had to be converted to dirt. And, and people like Wendell Berry and others really had a profound impact on me to realize that not only to see it as gift, but the way that we manage it can be 
beautiful strokes of beauty and, and horrific strokes of evil. Uh, reading, I think Wendell Berry is the one who talked about the slave economy and how uh, the way, not only the way tobacco was farmed in the South, but the way it was farmed with a slave economy often meant the destruction of the soil, that you needed vast acreages of land to grow tobacco that way. And the land was often destroyed for many, many years. So it involved uh, kind of a sense of you needed very, very few owners who had vast access to land and lots and lots and lots and lots of workers that one could never compensate if tobacco was to be profitable. And so what we do with land, I think that was one of the first things that reminded me is, wow, what we do with dirt and what we do with this is something that can inspire us or it can be something that divides us powerfully. And so I just appreciated so many of those comments. Um, this weekend I was, and you can see I'm a bad convert to dirt as well, it's at the Wild Goose Festival. And my idea of having fun in the summer, first of all, camping in North Carolina, who is that crazy anyway, right? But uh, I was speaking with Dan Rhodes and meeting friends, and, and every now and then I was just like, why in the world do these people want to do this in a, a, a camping setting? And, 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 you know, and everybody, because it always rains, and it always rains a lot, and there's a river, <laughs> and there's dirt, and you're just, everybody is dirty. And then you get sweaty, and then everything that's in the air and everything that's on the ground sticks to you. And, and by the third or fourth day, it's just a, a kind of like little zombies of dirt moving around and giving talks and playing music. And, and, and I always get there every year and go, why am I here? Uh, and, and one of the things that I, you forget, I'm, I'm a bad convert to dirt, is you look around and it's one of those places where people are equalized in beautiful ways. Faiths are equalized, uh, visions of God, vision. It's, it's, it, there's some sense that the dirt is in play in terms of what is beautiful about something like that. But for a guy like me, I see the dirt always as adversary. And so I'm thankful for the reminder tonight from so many of your voices of how much this is gift. I wanted to just, as we walk to the table now, read something that I read last week and read very poorly um, in talking about water is this idea that we tend to think of water, and, the, and the, uh, the writer used the Latin term kind of of sacrament, sacramentum, this something that is the way of God being agentic and saving us or stepping into our world. And the person that I was reading last week said, a better term for thinking about water, and I would say it's definitely a better term for thinking about dirt, is mysterium. It's mystery. It's more than just something that God acts in. It's a presence that does not simply illustrate the presence of God in our world, but is mystically and mysteriously communicative of God's grace, power, beauty, and salvific action in our world. And I would add even to this if I were writing this. It places us. It doesn't just put those things in our lives. It places us as receptors and contributors to that great work of God because dirt equalizes us. It, it reminds us that we are not different, that we cannot compare ourselves to each other. It is a mundane gift. It aren't the, just the most beautiful gifts of God come in the most absolutely mundane things. And as we turn our, our heads toward the table, or I do, we're reminded that Jesus so commonly and almost always took things like mud and spittle and natural bodies of water 
bread, wine, and other things and said, when you do these things, when you live in this space, when you share these things, when you value these things, when you give them to others and when you receive them from others, that is when you are actually doing the things that form us as people who are not just seeing God's work, seeing God's kingdom, seeing beloved community, but placing ourselves in the very midst of that. So tonight, as we do every week, but I encourage us uh, to see the pouring of wine or juice, the breaking of the bread or the crackers to each other as something that is mystery and mystery in its beauty, mystery in that God is deeply present in those acts and our doing them together uh, makes them even more powerful. So I invite you today to the table to do those very things with each other in the mysterium of the table and the realization that so many things around us are actually gift. Things like dirt that I might have recoiled at as something that didn't seem like gift are actually embedded in the good grace of God. So let's eat and drink together now in the very good grace of God. Amen.